When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Nathan Eckersley here. Before we get into the new episode of my podcast, I do need to warn you. On this episode, you might hear me asking you to send me a message with your opinion. I love hearing your opinions, but the messages you hear me reading out on air are from the live broadcast of the podcast, which takes place on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from 3pm UK time. If you want to get involved, make sure you listen live then. Please don't try to send in any messages for this episode, as your message won't be read, but you might still be charged. Anyway, that's the legal bit done, now on to the show. show this week, we are looking at Partygate and asking if the Sue Gray report will finally bring an end to it. I'll also be looking at human rights in China and asking if new leaked documents showing evidence of genocide might get the West to act. It's a packed show and I want to hear it from you, so let's go. saw the publication of the long-anticipated report by Sue Gray into the parties and gatherings held in Downing Street and Whitehall whilst the United Kingdom was under lockdown and strict COVID-19 restrictions. The report by one of the most senior civil servants in the country did not make for happy reading for the government, especially the Prime Minister and the top civil servants in Downing Street, as the report explicitly stated that the blame lied with them. Gray wrote that, quote, the senior leadership at the centre, both political and official, must bear responsibility for this culture. Well, this is what Boris Johnson made of Sue Gray's findings. And it's clear from what uh, Sue Gray has had to say that some of these gatherings then went on far longer than was necessary. And they were clearly in breach of the rules and they fell foul of the rules. I have to tell the House, because the House will need to to know this, and again, this is not to mitigate or to extenuate, I had no knowledge of those subsequent proceedings because I simply wasn't there. And I have been as surprised and disappointed as anyone else in this House as the revelations have unfolded. And frankly, Mr Speaker, I have been appalled by some of the behaviour, particularly in the treatment of the security and the cleaning staff. I'm happy to A number of changes have already been made in response to the initial findings in January, including the hiring of new advisers in Number 10 and the creation of a new Office of the Prime Minister as a government department. And most of the changes have come since the Prime Minister and the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, both received fixed penalty notices for the event in the Cabinet Room marking Boris Johnson's birthday. Incredibly, this was the only event where the Prime Minister and Chancellor were fined, and was the only one which they had no knowledge about. Rishi Sunak was only in the room because he was having a meeting in there and arrived early for it, but he was still fined. And there's been a lot of criticism aimed at Boris Johnson for this episode. 2019 intake MP for Eastleigh, Paul Holmes, resigned as a parliamentary private secretary to the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, over the findings of the report. A number of Conservative MPs, especially those with very small majorities, have been so angered by this that they have submitted letters of no confidence in Boris Johnson to Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee and a previous guest on this show. To trigger a vote of no confidence in Johnson as leader of the Conservative Party, 15% of Conservative MPs need to submit a letter of no confidence to Sir Graham. 
So in this case, there needs to be 54 MPs sending letters. So far, 34 MPs have called for Boris Johnson's resignation, with 24 of them publicly stating that they have sent letters to Sir Graham. The last time a confidence vote was called was in Theresa May over Brexit in 2018. That was done as a coordinated plan by the hardline Brexiteers like Jacob Rees-Mogg, Steve Baker and yes, Boris Johnson. Theresa May was expecting the vote so she was able to win it quite easily. But this is going to be completely different for Johnson as this is very much on individual MPs and not coordinated as it's MPs on all sides of the party and from parliamentary intakes ranging from 1983 to 2019 who are submitting letters. Johnson has a lot of loyal MPs and would likely win a vote, but the biggest issue he would face is by just how much he would win that vote by, as it's a secret ballot among MPs and a tight margin of victory would be incredibly damaging for the Prime Minister. MPs don't need to publicly state whether or not they've sent in letters, so we could either be very close to 54 letters or just over halfway. There is no way of knowing until Sir Graham Brady announces that he has received enough letters. As he told me on the show last year, when the vote on Theresa May's leadership happened, he received the required number of letters for the vote, then a couple of MPs had withdrawn their letters so it didn't happen, but then he received fresh letters to get back to that magic number and the vote was called. Even number 10 never truly know how many letters have been submitted. In response to the publication of the full report, this is what Boris Johnson told the House of Commons about taking responsibility for the parties. I want to begin today by renewing my apology to the House, uh, to the whole country, for the short lunchtime gathering on the 19th of June 2020 in the Cabinet Room, during which I stood at my place at the Cabinet table and for which I received a fixed penalty notice. And I also want to say, Mr Speaker, above all, that I take full responsibility for everything that took place on my watch. Sue Gray's report has emphasised that it is up to the political leadership in number 10 to take ultimate responsibility, and of course I do. Boris Johnson is, of course, right to take responsibility for the actions of staff in Downing Street and for the political leadership to take its share of the blame. However, one thing which has been absent in much of the discussion around Partygate is around the behaviour of the official leadership, meaning the civil service. The report states that senior leadership, both political and official, is to blame. So why are we not hearing anything about what's going to happen to the civil service? One of the biggest issues identified in the report is the culture inside Downing Street. But a culture isn't something that just starts or changes in each new government, of which there have been four since 2010. A culture, especially in a workplace, is something which has been there for many years, and political leadership comes and goes, but the civil service, a public body admired, respected and replicated around the world, is a constant and will remain irrespective of who the Prime Minister is or which political party is in power. The civil service is in dire need of extensive reform and hopefully this can be the wake-up call it needs. Partygate is a problem of the government's own making. When allegations of gatherings first came out back in December, Boris Johnson should have just owned up to it and offered an apology. Instead, they have allowed themselves to be bogged down by the, a media circus surrounding the affair, waiting for the next set of allegations and images to appear on the front page of the Daily Mirror, and causing a lot of dedicated and talented Conservative councillors to lose their seats in local elections earlier this month as a result of protest votes. And whilst the UK media has been falling over itself to provide wall-to-wall -wall coverage of what people already know, Another report was released this week with absolutely no television coverage. On Tuesday, an academic called Adrian Zenz published a series of documents known as the Xinjiang Police Files, which are thousands of pages of documents which had been leaked to Professor Zenz from an anonymous source who directly hacked the computer network of the authorities in Xinjiang, where the Chinese Communist Party stands accused of committing genocide against Uyghur Muslims. The BBC is the only major news outlet to have covered this, and it was, it was their top new, uh, online news story on Tuesday. The Xinjiang police files were published to coincide with the visit of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, uh, Michelle Bachelet, 
who made a historic visit to China and travelled to Xinjiang in a very heavily restricted and monitored trip. Bachelet went to China as part of her investigation into human rights abuses in Xinjiang and also in Hong Kong following the pro-democracy movement there being shut down and protesters being imprisoned, with some never to be seen again. The police files are the first of their kind to be made public and provide evidence of abuses taking place which do amount to genocide. It will take weeks to fully get to grips with what has been revealed in this leak, but if what is written on these documents is true, then the Chinese government must face severe punishments for what it is doing, or else we will see history repeat itself once again, and potentially with graver consequences. Now later in the show we're going to be looking further into these revelations of widespread atrocities in China, and looking at what the West should do to stop them from happening. But in the meantime, I'd really like to hear from you about what you make of Sue Gray's report, and what you think should happen as a result of the findings. To get in touch, you can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at WizRadio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, will the Sue Gray report bring an end to Partygate? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost. Only standard network rates apply at 07807 183538. You can email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. All of our contact details can be found on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back after this. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back. Let's hear what you've got to say. And our first message today comes from Danny. Danny says, I think that even when the news stories about Partygate have died down, which will probably be, probably be next week when it's the Platinum Jubilee. This is never going to end. What Boris Johnson and the rest of this government have done is show utter disrespect to the British public, and British people don't forget that. They locked down the country, restricted our freedom, and made it so we could not see our loved ones, even when they were dying, and in the meantime they were having parties. Even though the next general election isn't going to be for a couple of years supposedly, I believe this will be an election issue. This is going to haunt Boris and the Tories for years to come and will lead to a general election loss in 2024. This is so bad, Nathan, and we're not just going to forget that. Well, thank you for your message, Danny. And certainly on, on the uh, idea about a general election loss, I, th- I think you could be onto something there. The polls at the moment have been absolutely appalling for the Conservative Party and a, a poll released the, uh, this week actually shows that if there were a general election this week, then there would be a huge Labour majority and Boris Johnson would actually lose his seat in Uxbridge and South Ryslip. And as well as that, uh, the Conservatives would lose all but three of the red wall seats that they uh, won in 2019. So unless there's a really clear change of action and uh, uh, change the course that this government is going to take and try to perhaps atone for what uh, the, uh, they've done throughout the, the party gate and having these lockdown parties, they, they really do need to try and sort themselves out with this. But you're, you're right about the idea of the fact that, that it has been a, a real disrespect that was shown to, to the public. And it, it, it is infuriating. It really is, especially today in the, in the Sunday Times, we heard that uh, the Prime Minister's wife, Carrie Johnson, uh, she uh, text messages that she'd sent have been uh, seen by the Sunday Times that actually confirmed that there was a new party that we didn't know about uh, in the Downing Street flat where they lived to celebrate the Prime Minister's birthday. And we know, of course, that that was the event where uh, Boris Johnson and indeed Rishi Sunak were fine for having that uh, cake and few drinks in the cabinet room during the day. But this is a new event in which the, uh, they had a, a few people up up in the flat for again for some drinks some music apparently and uh, yes and we're, we're also told that 
uh, evidence of this event was sent to Sue Gray for her report. But again, it, it, it wasn't uh, for any further investigated. So we have to examine as well what the full scope of this investigation was that was done by Sue Gray and uh, how how much of it was looked into and uh, whether, whether or not she was given certain parameters or certain events to, to look at. That's obviously going to be something that comes out in due course. And the other thing we have to remember with this as well is that next year, the 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 UK government's official inquest into how the the government handled the COVID nineteen pandemic, the the official inquiry will begin next year, and of course the the conduct of government officials and ministers will be examined in the scope of that according to the terms of reference you can find on the inquiry's website, and so parties will naturally be brought up in that I'm sure, and of course ministers will have to testify under oath about what happened there it isn't we know that that there are accusations and allegations that boris johnson has misled the house of commons which is a resigning offense and again we can we can discuss at length whether or not he did mislead the house of commons about parties or whether or not he was just choosing his words very carefully when he was answering questions about the events but you know when when this inquiry does happen we will hear much more about these parties and from the people who, who were there as well. And the, if, we, if we remember the, the famous email that was leaked from uh, the Prime Minister's former private secretary, Martin Reynolds, uh, it, he, his email was the, the famous bring your own booze uh, to, the, to one of the parties. I believe it was the event that was held on the evening before Prince Philip's funeral. So, you know, he's he's going to be testifying in that inquiry. And so uh, we'll, we'll hear much more about this. And yes, as that inquiry goes on, it will get closer to the next general election. And as things stand, things are not looking good for the Conservative Party. But thank you for that message, Danny. Our next message comes from Georgina. Georgina says, Partygate might be over with the report's release, but this hasn't simmered the anger over it. The shocking thing about this report was that there wasn't really anything new. We all kind of knew that this was happening, but to see it all compiled in one report and to see the callous way that the governments have responded to this, still not taking it seriously, it's just a spit in the face, Nathan. That's how I feel about this government. They have spat in our faces and are laughing as they walk away. You know, whilst this was happening, we were only allowed outside of our houses once a day, and people were getting fines for being outside for longer. In the meantime, they were drinking and having a good time. Well, thank you for that message, Georgina. And yes, you're right to say that people were getting fined for leaving their homes to go a little bit further for exercise. People have been fined hundreds of pounds for just going beyond five miles for a run during lockdown, when the restrictions were at their most severe in March and April 2020. Just going for a walk, just a couple of miles outside of your home or outside i think i believe it was a five mile radius of your home exercising beyond that was Ill- illegal and i mean it's it's absurd just to even say that it was illegal to go for a walk beyond five miles from your home it's it's just ridiculous but of course people are even getting fined for uh, even more for uh, lesser offenses uh there's a number of uh, People who own gyms who are fined over ten uh, up to ten thousand uh, pounds just for opening their gyms, so people could exercise. I mean, that was one of the really, really poor decisions of lockdown. I mean, there were many, many bad decisions that the government took in lockdown, but closing gyms was a particularly poor one because pe- people really do need exercise. It's 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 not enough always just to go for a, a quick walk around the block or uh, have a. a a quick 30 minute walk or run uh, locally you know people go to the gym for uh, for for their own mental health and for their own personal well-being and so you you're right to point out that people were getting fines for much much lesser offenses and even even hairdressers as well were be were being fined for doing uh, remote consultations in certain places and uh, cutting people's hair at their homes and you know wearing all the PPE etc. So you're you're right to say that you know it it is it is so infuriating and in some ways yes it, it is callous that uh, that the, the the rule makers were the rule breakers 
And as I said in response to Danny's message, we'll hear a lot more about this over the next few months and even years as the official inquiry into the government's handling of the pandemic progresses and uh, the people who were at these parties will uh, give their testimony to the inquiry. But thank you for that message, Georgina. Our next message comes from Joey. Joey says, I just don't think that normal people care about this, Nathan. Partygate has been so heavily covered by the news that I think people are feeling fatigue over this. It's like Brexit. The news keeps reporting on it, but nobody actually cares anymore. That's why Boris won his election majority in the first place. He was the politician who just said, let's stop talking about it and get it done. I really think a lot of people feel the same about Partygate. Yes, it's bad, and politicians don't respect the rules. But we all kind of knew that anyway, right? What have we really learnt from this? We always knew that politicians did whatever they want. Now we have proof. But as I say, we knew this even without the proof. I actually don't think there will be any election fallout from this. I think the whole story has been overdone. Well, thank you for that message, Joey. And I think your position there is actually closest to how I feel on the matter. When the allegations were first brought up in December last year, I was really, really annoyed about this. I was really angry to hear that... You know, the, the people who'd imposed the most draconian, most severe restrictions on our lives in, in peacetime, perhaps even ever, certainly in modern history, the, mo- the, the most authoritarian restrictions placed on our civil liberties. And the people who designed those rules and those laws were just openly flouting them. I, I was absolutely infuriated by it. And I, I even did, uh, covered it on, on the show back in December, and I even called for Boris Johnson to resign over it. Because because the the anger was fresh, we'd only just heard about it. But I, I have changed my mind on that now. And again, I, I said this a few weeks ago that you know, more and more evidence has come out about this. And yes, it is wrong what they were doing. I think every, more or less everyone would agree that it was totally wrong for the government, the, the advisors, the civil servants, the ministers to to have these gatherings and you know to have the, these parties, if you like. But fundamentally when we boil it down it was wrong they're showing contrition for it they've they're punishing themselves as well for it and we've seen initial hits in the polls we've seen poor local election results which in large in large parts can be reflective of where the nation sits on this issue what people really think about it and in those local elections earlier this month there were a lot of protest votes and that's the, that saw a lot of very dedicated community campaigners who were trying to become Conservative councillors miss out. And even councillors who'd been there many years were incredibly talented, very dedicated to, to their wards and to their communities. They ended up losing their seats as a result of it. And yes, this, this anger is fresh. And especially if you lost a, a, a loved one uh, during this time when, uh, it, it, when, when the parties were happening and when, now that we know the timeline of this if, if you lost a loved one I, I i would fully understand that you you'd be really angry about this and and rightly so it is insulting and yes even as georgina says it's it is callous to a large extent but i, th- I think you're right joey I, I think generally people don't care about it it's been a story that's dominated the press but it's been dominating a, a westminster based press a, a press that's constantly surrounding itself in British politics, in Westminster culture, if, if, for want of a better phrase, the Westminster bubble. It is that bubble story. And so when you actually get out into the streets, I think a lot of people would say, yes, it's annoying. Yes, it's, in, uh, it's, it's angering at first, but we, we just have to move on. It happened. You can't undo the parties. We just have to move away from this. And frankly, if if Boris Johnson does have to resign as a result of this, be it because he's misled the House of Commons or if more allegations that are more serious come out, whatever it may be, we have to try and think about who an alternative would be, who a potential successor could be to him. And at the moment, I really don't see there being anyone on either the Conservative or the Labour benches who could do a better job than him as, as Prime Minister and uh, le- leading the government, which is a really terrible position for the country to be in, I, th- I think. Yeah, you know, in years gone by, there was always someone in in the House of Commons you could identify as, like the the next prime minister or a future prime minister. But I re- I really don't see that in the the current intake of MPs that we have. 
And so that, I, I, I just don't see any alternative to Boris Johnson at the moment. But thank you for that message, Jerry. And yeah, I, I think you're right. It is like Brexit. You know, it, it was a very divisive campaign and to, really difficult to try and get it over the line. That is fundamentally the reason why he won that 2019 election. But people have moved on from that. And I think people will move on from Partygate in a very similar way very soon. Thank you for that message, Joey. And a reminder that to get involved, you can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at WizRadio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, will the Sue Gray report bring an end to Partygate? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. And you can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rates apply at 07807 183 538. You can email us station at wizardradio.co.uk and all of our contact details can be found on our website, wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back right after this. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back. Let's check in with the results so far on this week's poll. The question of the day is, will the Sue Gray report bring an end to Partygate? Well, only 42% of you say yes, it will, but 58% of you say no, it will not. Well, please do vote in the poll if you haven't already. To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. And please do keep your messages coming through. A reminder that all of our contact details can be found on our website at wizardradio.co.uk. Let's go to some more of your messages now. And our next one comes from Thomas. Thomas says, I think that this report is a stroke of genius by Boris, to be honest. He knows that people's attention spans are short. He knows that he knows that better than most politicians, having led the lockdowns and trying to keep people engaged in COVID policies. By stringing this out over months and months, delaying the release of the full report, all it has done is made the general public lose interest. When I speak to my parents about this story, they literally just roll their eyes and say they're banging on about this again. I think that Partygate is over now and that uh, is over now that the report is out. I don't think uh, Boris is going to resign, and I don't think there is that palpable feeling that he should leave. You know, when Theresa May had the votes of no confidence over Brexit, everyone was talking about how she should leave. I'm not seeing everyone talking about Boris leaving. Only people in a certain bubble. Well, thank you for that message, Thomas. And yes, it it is uh, very much people in a certain bubble from my perspective. And as as I said uh, uh, just before the the break in response to Joey's message, that you know I I was one of the people calling for Boris Johnson to resign. I've I've changed my mind on on that position. But yes, even with Theresa May's votes of no confidence, she was in a very very different position to where we are now. She was incredibly weakened by uh, effectively losing that 2017 general election and having to uh, get Brexit over the line in a minority government, which, as we all know, she was unable to do. And by by having that, she she was presiding over an incredibly divided party. And uh, in fact, she was effectively leading two parties to a large extent, a party that was committed to leaving the EU and a party that was uh, committed to uh, remaining and overturning the result of that referendum. And again, we couldn't talk. We could talk about Brexit at, at length, but back to the point at hand about the votes of no confidence. She was in a very different position to where Boris Johnson is. Boris has a lot of very loyal MPs, more, more so than I, I could even think of, because I, I, I'm not a particularly big fan of uh, Boris Johnson and uh, never have been, but I, I don't think he should resign over this. And But your, your, your point about this potentially being a, a stroke of genius is really interesting, because, yes, people people do have a short attention span, and certainly with politics, it's, it goes back to the old saying that a week is a long time in politics. So... You know, by as you say, stringing this out, str- pulling, prolonging this so, for so many months, pe- people are losing interest, and you know, 
people just want to move on. There, there are much bigger fish to fry at the moment. Look at the cost of living now. It's, it, bills are going sky high. And yet all, all we're hearing about is Partygate. It's on the front page of so many newspapers. There's been another party or, or the, there's been more evidence of an existing party that we've already been told about. And quite frankly, it, it is boring. It, it is. Yes, there was a, a, a palpable anger that people felt at the start, but now people really have moved on from that. But thank you for that message, uh, Thomas. Our next message comes from Luca. Lucas says, what I'll be interested in is if there is a bigger or smaller turnout at the next election. I can't call it. On one hand, you would expect that all uh, that with all of the anger that Partygate has caused, more people than ever are going to want to turn out to the polls and vote to either throw out the government or keep Boris in. That would suggest that people do feel really strongly about Partygate, and this has really riled them up. On the other hand, though, a part of me thinks that maybe this just reaffirms the idea that all politicians are bad and do no good. And this is going to cause people to become fed up with the system and not show up to the polls at all. I think the turnout at the next election will say a lot about how people actually feel about this. Well, thank you for that message, Luca. And that's an excellent point you make about uh, turnout. Turnouts is usually a really good indicator on uh, the the mood of the nation or how the how the nation is engaged in certain issues if if we take the local elections that we've just, we had earlier this month turnout was really really low it was the lowest it's been for a very very long time it was only i think nationally it was in the the low 30% region but yet compare that with the 2016 EU referendum, a, a, a topic where everyone was engaged on it. Almost everyone had an opinion on it. Turnout for that was at 72%. I think that's the highest turnout there's ever been for a, a public vote on in, in this country, which is astonishing. And again, to go from a 72% turnout for something in 2016 to a, a, a low 30% uh, turnout in 2022 it is really really quite quite stark and is quite quite a good reflection of the changes that the country and uh, you, how uk politics has been and with, with that as well i mean local elections have always had a, a low turnout but this this year it was noticeably lower but there is, there is this idea especially since there's all that division around getting brexit done and uh, uh, and having the, the debates around whether or not to run, run the referendum again and try and overturn the initial result. A lot of people did feel that all politicians are bad and you know, Partygate has uh, re reaffirmed that belief that, that some people have had around this. But not, not all, all politicians are bad. There are some who are in, an, uh, uh, in it for entirely the right reasons, especially to a local level and now, that's why it's, it's such a shame that turnout at local elections is, is so low because they aren't all in it for the, the wrong reasons. Some do it to really make some good and bring change to their communities. But hopefully, you know, we, we can move beyond this. It's gone on for far too long. And it, you're right, turnout will be a really, really interesting metric to look at when the next election arrives, be it uh, uh, rumoured to be in autumn this year by some newspapers or at the, uh, most likely in May uh, 2024. But we will certainly have to see on that. Thank you for that message, Luca. Our next message comes from Nathan. Oh, interesting. Uh, it must be a different Nathan. Saying, I'm shocked at some of your messages. I don't know what imaginary normal people your listeners are talking to, but the actual people I'm talking to uh, really do care about Partygate and the actions of this government. Equally, we think that there are many people better suited at leading a government than Boris Johnson. I think the postman would show more leadership than Boris. You have local politicians genuinely scared about losing their seats. Boris and the Tories with record low pollings in, in opinion polls too. The numbers speak for themselves. People do care about this. People are going to turn out to the polls and vote this corrupt government out for their misdeeds. I think you have some very out of touch listeners. Well. Well, thank you for for sending a message there. And um, there there are a lot of people who who do care very much, and I can I can see you're quite passionate about this topic. And you know, I do I do understand that. And it it was a completely wrong thing for for 
the government to do. There was absolutely no reason why the these parties and gatherings should have happened or if they did happen there's no reason why they should have gone on for as long as they did but i mean i'm in the same category here as a number of other listeners and messages that we've had today by saying that people i've spoken to be be they really politically engaged or couldn't care less about politics and uh, Westminster etc a lot of people really just want to move beyond this and as, as I keep coming back to yes there was a lot of palpable anger at first and you know I, I put myself in that camp as well I was very angry at it at first but we, we just have to move on that there's, there's no point rehashing this argument over and over again because we know what's we know what's happened the evidence is out there we've got pictures we've seen text messages uh, trying to organize parties we've seen the the bring your own booze email you, you know we we've seen that these things have happened there's nothing we can do to undo them we, we know they were wrong the the people who are there now know they are wrong and it certainly set a precedent for future governments that they know to be extra careful should there be another national emergency like this so you know we, we do have to be very careful about this but you know you know I fully accept your points that you know there there is a large group of people who really do care about this issue, and I, I fully accept that and appreciate that. But the the consensus to me seems to be that people do just want to move on from this. But thank you for that message. <laughs> Uh, we're going to move away from Partygate to look at human rights in China and the suspected genocide of uh, Uyghur Muslims. Because earlier this week, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, that there was a huge, huge leak of documents known as the Xinjiang Police Files on Tuesday. And they were published by an academic based in the United States called Professor Adrian Zenz. And within this leak, there were thousands of pages of official documents that were uh, discussing the what the treatments of the Uyghurs and uh, where uh, across the region of Xinjiang where these atrocities are taking place and the importance of this leak really cannot be overstated the last time such a huge body of evidence was uh, disclosed like this was in 2019 and that was done by the New York Times and that 2019 leak was uh, the the catalyst for this global media attention on the, the human rights abuses in China and has been the reason why so many MPs on all, all sides of the house in all parties in the UK and in politicians around the world have been so actively campaigning on calling out the, the Chinese government and rightly so. And th that evidence was also the, the basis for many investigations, mostly by the BBC, into these so-called re-education camps. Now this week, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, and she's also the former president of Chile, Michelle Bachelet, she travelled to China to see for herself whether or not human rights abuses are taking place. And in a press conference after her visit, uh, ju just take a listen to what she had to say on the supposed counter-terrorism measures that the Chinese Communist Party, or the CCP, are using against Uyghurs. Uyghur autonomous regions. I have raised questions and concerns about the application of counter-terrorism and de-radicalization measures under broad application, particularly their impact on the right of Uyghurs and other predominantly Muslim minorities. While I'm un unable to assess the full scale of the VETCs, I raised with the government the lack of independent judicial oversight of the operation of the program, the reliance by law enforcement officials on 15 indicators to determine tendencies towards violent extremism, allegations of the use of force and ill-treatment institutions, and reports of unduly severe restrictions on legitimate religious practices. During my visit, the government assured me that BETC system has been dismantled. I encourage the government to undertake a review of all counterterrorism and derecadalization policies to ensure they fully comply with international human rights standards and in particular that they are not applied in an arbitrary and discriminatory way. Well, the words from the High Commissioner in that clip are just straight out of the, the CCP playbook. She was reciting nothing more than talking points provided by the Chinese government. And those words will be used by the CCP to, as in their defence against these accusations of genocide and human rights abuses. But what is happening in Xinjiang is not counter-terrorism or part of the Chinese government's security apparatus. 
but rather the suppression of an ethnic minority to the point of near extinction because their faith and values conflict with the ambitions of President Xi Jinping. And Bachelet's visit was supposedly to grant her unfettered access to the areas of concern in Xinjiang, but it was entirely controlled by the Chinese authorities. So uh, uh, please, please do get in touch on, on this issue because it, it really is such an important issue. And you know, you know, the West has not been acting in the way it should have on, uh, so far in calling out China on human rights abuses and condemning what's been going on. So please do let me know what you think what, of, of uh, what, what the information is that's come out and also how you think the West should respond. Uh, we've already had a, a message in from Louis on this issue. Louis says, I don't know what it's going to take to make the West act on China, Nathan, but it's going to have to be something much more extreme than even internment camps. I can't believe those words have just come out of my mouth or out of my fingers. What China have been very successful at doing is making the entire world reliant on them potentially crippling global infrastructure if a country cuts their ties or tries to enforce sanctions so that they can just get away with literal murder. Especially right now, we are in a cost of living crisis and taking action on China would likely only make that even more dire. So no politician is going to do that. In the meantime though, there are innocent people in China dying because of a regime that is breaking human rights laws without any care and without being held to account. Well, thank you for that message, Louis, and I, I completely agree with you here. And it, what, what China is doing is absolutely abhorrent. It's disgusting and truly, truly despicable. The fact that we're in the year 2022, in the 21st century, and yet there is an, a, a, just such awful human rights abuses that are happening that uh, until a, a court, uh, an international court makes a, an official determination of genocide, we, ha we have to use the term suspected. But, you know, the, the body of evidence is just overwhelming. And in particular, the pol Xinjiang police files, the evidence that they have come out with is just truly appalling. So, so some of the things that are, are in there, and I, I should point out that because there are so many thousands of pages of documents within this leak, it will take a, a few weeks for us to truly understand and examine what is fully in there. But from the initial evidence that we've seen, we've seen that just in one county alone in the region of Xinjiang, which is 1.6 million square kilometers big, wide, etc., just in one county, They've had 12% of the adult population in internment camps at one point. 12% of the entire adult population in just one county. It's, it's just inc incredible to think that. And, you know, as, as well as this as well, within, within the leak, we've seen that police documents have shown that uh, officers and uh, staff at the camps have been given shoot-to-kill orders under a directive from the very top in a bid to try and stop any Uyghurs challenging or questioning camp stuff and authorities. And, you know, to have this uh, this sort of action in this day and age is just truly awful. And in, in the leak as well, we've had over 5,000 photos shared that were taken between January and July 2018, which just shows how long this has been happening. And those pictures show uh, Uyghurs being taken into these so-called re-education camps. And yet our governments aren't doing anything. So you're right to say, Louis, that our, our governments really do need to hold China to account. And yes, there, there may be some difficulties with supply chains and especially in the cost of living at the moment. But fundamentally, we're talking about people's lives here and not allowing history to repeat itself. But thank you for that message, Louis. Our next message comes from Rachel. Uh, Rachel says, your last message started with the phrase, I don't know what it's going to take to make the West act on China. I know what it's going to take. It's going to take public pressure. When will we learn that politicians only do things if they think it's going to make them more popular with their base? That's how democracy works after all. So we need to show how much we care about the innocent Uyghur Muslims and that we demand action by our government. It needs to be a movement with boycotts and protests and we need to take away votes from politicians that do not pledge action. If governments believed that the continuation of their careers as public servants depended on taking action on China, then there would be action. 
These files could lead to action, but only if we demand it. Well, thank you for that message, Rachel. And yes, I agree with you. I mean, if we think just for a moment so across the world, if we look at the United Nations, there are 197 member states of the United Nations. So let's say in this case, there are 197 countries in the world. Of those 197 countries, there is only one government that has actually made a determination that an, a genocide is actively taking place in China, and that's the United States. Only the US government has made that determination, and that that was made under President Trump, actually, and it's a, one of the very few policies under the Trump administration that was continued by Joe Biden. So just one government has done done that. But yet there are parliaments around the world, including our own in the UK, that have made that same determination, that the parliaments have voted on uh, endorsing the belief that there is a genocide going on at the moment, which is a step, but it needs governmental action. And the United States has already taken action by uh, having Congress pass legislation to diversify supply chains to ensure that uh, Uyghur forced labour is not being used to uh, in in products being sent over to the United States, and uh, I, th I believe that it, if there are any products found to be involved in forced labour from the Xinjiang region, then there'll be hefty fines and pot potential prosecutions for those companies and individuals involved in those practices. But nonetheless, it is appalling that only one government around the world has actually made this determination. And you're right; it does need to be a movement. It needs to be people campaigning, lobbying their MPs to realise what is happening and that, you know, we're seeing a real-life genocide happen right now and we're not doing anything about it. And, you know, governments and leaders can say we're very concerned about the human rights abuses currently happening in China and we're monitoring the situation carefully. But you're right, it needs to be action. There needs to be a clear-cut policy, and that's not something the UK has. The only glimmer of hope that we do have on this is the fact that there is a new partnership forming between the European Union, the United States, and the United Kingdom. And the, the, uh, the US, the UK, and the EU have uh, created this new body called the Atrocity Crimes Advisory Group. Now, this is a mechanism that's been designed uh, in the wake of the Russia-Ukraine war to uh, help investigate uh, uh, potential atrocities taking place and to ensure there are uh, uh, actions and f relating to the accountability of people involved in committing atrocities. Now, this is being done to uh, monitor uh, accusations of war crimes and even potential genocide taking place in Ukraine. But this can be applied to what's happening in China and in Xinjiang. And so we can see that uh, action might happen and hopefully uh, you know, that can be the catalyst for something to happen. And the Foreign Office under Liz Truss, who's been very critical of China and very uh, hawkish on this, uh, will have to uh, finally come up with a clear-cut policy to call out China, because, frankly, this has gone on for far too long. But thank you for that message, Rachel. And our final message today comes from Chris. Chris says, I hate to be the person who says this, but China has taken a leaf right out of the US playbook. America has created a dynamic whereby few countries can afford to go against them or take action against what the US government wants to do. And because of that, the US have been able to breach human rights all over the world in war zones and even make Guantanamo Bay, where it's been long suspected that people have been held there without good reason and they've been tortured. What is happening in China needs to stop. Governments need to take action. But whilst we're taking action, we need to take a look at what else we're allowing to slip by. Well, thank you for that message, Chris. And I, I, f I fully accept the argument there about the United States. You know, um, no, no one's claiming that the United States or or any any country for that matter is absolutely perfect and squeaky clean in all of this. But we have to look at exactly what what's happening here. The Chinese government is projected to become the world's largest economy by 2030, overtaking the United States. Now, in order to get to that goal, to get to that landmark position, to, to be that world's largest economy within the next 10 years, that they are using forced labour and, and internment camps to get there. To get there, they are suppressing the very essence of democracy in Hong Kong, 
which for many, many, many years and decades has been a bastion of democratic and freedom-loving values across Asia and the, the Far East. It's been a, a shiny example of what a free society can be. But that, that's non-existent anymore. And even Taiwan as well. Taiwan really is the last free area within Chinese territory or uh, relative Chinese control. And so that's why there's been such uh, strong criticism about uh, how China treats Taiwan and the place Taiwan should have in the world. Even at the World Health Organization Assembly, uh, countries around the world have been calling for Taiwan to have independent recognition there. So, so you know, we, we are seeing that there needs to be a, a clear line to say we need to call out China for what they're doing. But I, I do accept the point that the, U, the US has not been perfect in any way at all, especially on Guantanamo Bay and the, the, the treatment of uh, people during uh, events like the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war. And again, we could spend another hour just talking about those two incidents. But, you know, I, I fully accept the, your arguments about the United States. But fundamentally, th this is a situation that needs the entire world focused on it. But thank you for that message. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you to everyone who's listened to this week's episode. And thanks for everyone who sent in messages live. If your message wasn't read out this week, then please do try again next week. I'm Nathan Eckersley, and I'll be back at the same time, same place, next week. Goodbye. Family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.